0: This morning, will be um, Reverend Ray Nutley will be leading our service. Uh, Ray, as a colleague, is the previous minister here, has retired, and it is a wonderful privilege to be able to share in services with him. He's also been part of the team that has made sure these services have come through over the last couple of months, and uh, as Ray leads us in our service, I know we'll be richly blessed as he brings God's word to us.
1: Good morning. Welcome to worship. It's great to be here and to be able to share with you in this um, unusual uh, situation. For those of you who have just tuned in, no, Stuart hasn't lost some kilos and gained many, many years in age. Um, but as Stuart explained earlier, I'm Ray Nutley, a uh, retired minister, supposedly. Um, that I used to be here at the church, and so it's great to be able to be here and to be uh, sharing with you today. If during the service you could um, put like, that means you like the church, not necessarily me, but uh, like, or let us know where you're from because we know we have people from um, local areas, from close by, from far, far away throughout Australia, watching and also overseas, South Africa, and Canada, America, I think that's some of the places, but if you can let us know um, where you're watching from, that would be uh, greatly appreciated. On Tuesday night, on Tuesday night, the... Um, we have connecting, that's what I'm trying to work with, connecting conversations, connecting conversations at uh, seven o'clock at uh, at Bundaberg time. And if you would like to tune into Facebook there, uh, there's a conversation Stuart has with various people. And this week, uh, he'll be talking to me, questioning me about my service, bit like being a student in theological college and doing a crit service. Uh, And Stuart's trying hard not to laugh out loud, but, it'll be time when uh, we talk about and you can interact with us uh, during that service. And so let us gather together as worship. The peace of the Lord be with you.
0: And also with you.
1: Let us pray. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter said, it is good Lord for us to be here. And we echo these thoughts. It is indeed good to be here although separated by distance, yet still gathered together in worship. Gracious God, as we come together today, we acknowledge that you are our God, a God of awe and wonder, a God of majesty, a God of righteousness and justice, a God of grace, a God of love and mercy. And as we think of these attributes, we realize how often we have failed to be an obedient people. We've not always loved you, our neighbor, or ourselves as we are called to love. We've often taken you for granted, asking you to bless our will instead of us seeking your will. And thinking that it doesn't matter what we do or say, we only have to say sorry and you make all things right. Forgive us for our presumptions. We have not always loved our neighbours and shown respect to them as we have tried to mould and change them into our thinking and our way of doing things rather than rejoicing that we are all made in your image and giving thanks for differences. Forgive us our presumptions. We have not always loved ourselves as we are called to love. Those times when we have thought that we don't need forgiveness and those times when we think that we are beyond forgiveness. Forgive us our presumptions. O God, even as we confess our failings, we hear your words of forgiveness in that if we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we give you thanks that in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven. And so as your free, loved and forgiven people, we continue to give you thanks and praise. We thank you for the many blessings that we have received at your hands. We thank you for families and friends, for the beauty and the wonder of nature. But most of all, we give thanks that you are our God and we are your children. And so as your children, we say together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples Last week, Stuart spoke to us about Jesus meeting the disciples at the lake and asking Peter if he loved him. Today's lectionary reading comes from John chapter 14, where Jesus assures the disciples that they will not be left like orphans after his death, resurrection and ascension, as they will have another comforter be with them. And he makes a ask, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So let us now listen as Stuart reads for us from the Gospel according to John, John chapter 14.
0: John 14, verses 15 to 29, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." "'Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. "'I do not give as the world gives. "'Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. "'You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. "'If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, "'and the Father is greater than I. "'I have told you now before it happens, "'so that when it does happen, you will believe.'" This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Stuart. As part of our worship, we come and we give our gifts of offering, our offering which is part of a giving of ourselves, our response in in worship, and we give thanks for those who have been uh been faithful in giving through internet, online banking, and those who have dropped it into the office. If you would like to um, give to the mission and the work of of our church, to the mission and work of God here in this place, then the bank details will appear on Facebook. It's on the website for you to do internet banking. Where it says message or remitter, just put um, offering city, Uh, You don't have to put your name there, so it can be given anonymously, but if you mark it Offering City, that would be greatly appreciated. And so you can either do that or drop it into the office uh, during office hours and give it to Vanessa. And so now let us uh, bring our prayers of dedication of the offering to God and our um, prayers, prayers of thanksgiving. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we come together today, we give thanks. Thanks for the many blessings we have received at your hands. Thanks for the way in which you have been there guiding and sustaining us in so many ways. And as we do so, we bring these gifts of offering as a token of our love and thanks to you. We give thanks for those who have given, for those who will give, and we pray your blessing upon these gifts of money that they might be used to further your kingdom here on earth. We thank you for the mission of the church as we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we think of those within the world that we live, our friends, our neighbors, those in close community, those scattered. We pray especially today for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. In these times of difficulty, made even more difficult with the reduced numbers at funeral services. But as they mourn the loss of loved ones, we pray that you will comfort them and assure them of your peace, that peace that passes all understanding. We pray for those who are not well, for those who have the virus, for those who have flu or those who have other illnesses. And we pray that you'll reach out through the power of your Holy Spirit and bring healing and wholeness. We pray for all the medical staff, for the doctors, for the nurses, for the aides, for those involved in pathology, that you'll be with them and watch over and protect each one of them as they continue to carry out their healing ministry. We think of those research scientists who are seeking a vaccine for this virus. Lord, give to them the wisdom and discernment that they need as well. For those who are feeling lonely, for those feeling totally shut off, we pray that you might be with them, that they might see you as their friend, that you might comfort them and assure them that they are not alone, that you are with them always, even to the end of time. And so as we come, we come praying for your will and your purpose to be done in our lives, for your will and purpose to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we give thanks and praise to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. If I happen to disappear off screen or you suddenly lose sound. It's because those of you who know me well know that I like to wander around when I'm preaching and uh, now I've got to stay still and not move um, away, away from the pulpit. So that's a struggle in itself. As we look at our gospel reading for this morning It seems to me that there are two issues that Christians face today that Jesus addresses here in this passage. The first is the question as to how we're rating as a Christian. That is, are we good enough for God to be pleased with us? Are we good enough that God will listen to our prayers? How come he answers everybody else's prayer except mine? How do you raise a Christian? In my time in ministry, the one thing that makes a constant appearance is the question, how could God love me? I'm not worthy. The second issue has to do with how we know what's the right thing to do. How do we decide what to do or say at any one moment? John 14 begins with the disciples being faced with this problem. Jesus has just told them he's about to leave them, and he says these words to reassure them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. They're clearly meant as words of comfort, but as you can imagine, some of them are thinking, well, that's all very well, but it's just pie in the sky when you die stuff. I'm worried about what's going to happen in the next few months, the next few days, when Jesus isn't here to help us and to guide us. Up until now, they've hardly done a thing without Jesus being there to direct them or to correct them. Now they're going to be on their own. It's like the first time you're allowed to take a car out for a drive all by yourself. Or how I imagine a pilot feels when they're sent up to fly solo for the very first time. The instructor's not there anymore, and everything depends on them. So Jesus sets out to give them some reassurance. If you love me, all you need is love. All you need is love was a song written by John Lennon and credited to Lennon and McCartney. It was first performed by the Beatles on Our World, the first live global television link, watched by 400 million in 26 countries. It's a clear message saying that love is everything. Today it seems that love has become only a word. It's a word that is often spoken and yet rarely demonstrated. Who do you love? Why do you love them? In verse 15 we read, if you love me, do you love Christ? How do we love him? What evidence exists to prove the love for Christ? Many years ago, I read a Pearly Gates cartoon where Saint Peter and his offsider was there, and his offsider was saying to Saint Peter, "Look, they're arresting all the Christians down on earth." And Peter's comment was, "I wonder if there'll be enough evidence to convict them." One of the things about being stuck at home has done is tested our love for each other when things were not done the way we expected or some family members have just been a lot lazier or a lot bossier than we had imagined or when difference of opinions get a little heated. That's when we need to remember when Paul writes in Corinthians 13 about what love is. Corinthians 13, 4-8. And if you can read it and say, yeah, that's fine, drop the word love out and put the word I in and see how far you get. I am patient, I am kind, I am loving and so on. Sometimes because of our own actions, our love for God can at times seem all over the place and out of focus. How does my life, my repentance, confession we spoke about last week, my love for God and God's love for me all relate together? Well, the first bit of reassurance Jesus gives the disciples comes in the form of a proposition. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is not a conditional statement so much as a statement of where they are with him. Those who are worried how they rate as a Christian might well read this as a test. If you keep these commandments, you'll get a good score. But in fact, Jesus' implication is that they already love him. They do love him. That's not in question. In the next chapter, Jesus will point out that he considers them his friends. It's because they love him that he's confident they'll keep his commandments. If you think about it, that's how loving relationships work, isn't it? When we love somebody, we're glad to do what pleases them. Our children occasionally need to be disciplined for not doing what they're told, but mostly they do it, not from fear of punishment, but because they love us. And they know we love them, and so they want to do it, and they want to do what we need to be done. So there's the first bit of assurance. They don't need Jesus with them physically in order to do what's right. They'll do it anyway, just because they love him. But then Jesus goes on and promises them someone who will continue the relationship they have with him. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. You see, their hearts don't need to be troubled at the thought that Jesus is about to leave them, because his presence with them is to be replaced by someone far greater. Back in verse 12, he said, The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. The coming of the Spirit, you see, will empower them in a way that Jesus' physical presence with them never ever could. You notice that Jesus says another. That is, this will be Jesus' replacement. And notice how close is the identification of this new advocate with Jesus. At verse 17, he says, You know him because he abides with you. Who currently abides with them? It's Jesus. So I think he's saying that this spirit who will come to them is actually him, but in spiritual form. Now, I know we need to be careful about our Trinitarian theology here, But a few verses on, Jesus explains that both he and the Father will come to live within us. But that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. So what will the coming of the Spirit mean for Jesus' disciples? First of all, it means that Jesus will be, or the coming of the Spirit means that he will be in them. The Spirit's presence is different from Jesus' presence in this important way. He dwells within the disciples. He dwells within us forever. And that means that we'll know him in an intimate way. And secondly, he says, you will live because Jesus lives. The coming of the Spirit to dwell within us imparts to us in a mystical sense the risen life of Christ. That is why Jesus could say back in chapter 12, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, we know that we'll all die physically if Jesus doesn't return, but the risen life of Christ that we have through the presence of his Spirit within us can't be taken away from us. Even though we die, yet will we live. And thirdly, even more amazingly, the Spirit's presence within us is in fact the presence of God within us. And that presence brings us into the circle of the Trinity, In verse 23, we read, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. We love Jesus, so the Father loves us, and Jesus loves us. And in verse 20, on that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is one of those mind-blowing descriptions that John loves. Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus, we are in Jesus, Jesus is in us. There's an intricate interweaving of relationships within the Godhead that we're drawn into. The ancient church fathers described it as the dancing around of the Trinity. Three persons spinning around with such harmony that though you can see that there are three involved, they appear as a single unit. And here we find that we are drawn into that cosmic dance. It's like one of those Celtic knot drawings where everything is interwoven so that you see as a whole rather than the individual parts. And it's like that, because the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, we're caught up in the mystery of the Godhead. This is one of those things that no one can ever really explain. How can God be Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three persons in one? Yet that's a mystery. A mystery which we're drawn into as God's Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And if you notice, by the way, why it is that Jesus says he'll reveal himself to his disciples in this way? Well, if you look at verse 21, it says, It's because they love him. They love him. It's there again. And the result of them loving him is that they listen to him, they keep his word. There's a moral element to this, you see, but not as a prerequisite, rather as a result of the love we have for Jesus. A loving child does what their parents ask, not to gain favor with their parents, but out of love for them because they honor and respect them. And so as a result of the love we have for Jesus, the Father is able to come and dwell within us. On the other hand, those who don't love Jesus won't keep his words. And the implication is that the Father won't come and dwell with them. If you think about it, there's an inherent logic in there. How could God possibly dwell in someone who doesn't love him? How, Someone who doesn't honour him as God, how can God do this? That's all very well to think about the disciples and talk about them, but what about us? what's it mean for us that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us? First of all, the Spirit imparts the power of God's service. Back in verse 12, he says, the one who believes in me will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. What were the works that Jesus did? Well, he healed people, he taught people, he proclaimed the gospel of God's kingdom. So presumably, God's Spirit will empower us, too, to do those things. In particular, the Spirit will empower us for the work to which Jesus has called each one of us to. For example, telling others about Jesus Christ. When we share the gospel with our friends, it's the Holy Spirit who will work in their hearts to convince them of the truth of what we're telling them. And that's what Jesus says in verse 17. The Holy Spirit, this is a spirit of truth. In verse 26, he says, But my advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Later on in chapter 16, he'll talk about how the Holy Spirit will convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does for each one of us is that he reminds us of what Jesus taught us and so enables us to obey. The Holy Spirit speaks to us when we need to know what to do and reminds us of God's words to us. Again, this is a result of that new relationship we've just talked about. This is a whole new way of relating to God. Do you remember how God spoke to people in the Old Testament? Well, there's Abraham sitting in his tent, and up walk three men. He invites them in and starts giving them, and starts to give him a message from God. It turns out they're angels. Samuel's asleep in the temple, and he's woken by what he thinks is Eli calling his name. But it wasn't Eli. It's God speaking to him with a message for Eli and the people of Israel. Gideon's out threshing wheat in a wine press, and up comes an angel to tell him that God wants him to go and rescue Israel. In the Old Testament context, God had to use angels and intermediaries, prophets and priests, to warn people, to instruct them how to live. But now, all that's changed. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, Here's, a God, here's what God tells us in Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. How is that prophecy fulfilled? By Jesus asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to remind us of what Jesus has taught, to bring God's word back to our minds. We no longer need to wait for a priest to remind us of the law. We no longer have to wait for a prophet to come along and tell us what God wants us to know. God now speaks to us directly through his Holy Spirit who dwells within us, telling us what he wants to do. And finally, the coming of the Holy Spirit will bring us peace. Not the sort of peace that the world gives, not a peace that is transitory or held in a a place of fear. You know, in Jesus' day, the world was at peace. The so-called Pax Romana was widely praised but it was peace won and maintained at the point of a sword. In our own day, peace is maintained in a shaky sort of way, largely by the force of arms in the United Nations, NATO, and some other individual countries. But it isn't a very satisfactory peace, is it? It's a very limited peace at best, and it certainly doesn't provide us with peace of mind. And I think that one of the great desires of our day is for an inner peace. And inner tranquility of spirit, not removed from the responsibilities and relationships of the world, but built up and experienced in the midst of it. It's the sort of peace that Jesus promises us here. It's a peace born out of a living, personal relationship with Jesus Himself, deepened through a growing surrender of our lives to the rule of His Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And it's a peace. It's a peace based on our faith in Jesus' promises. How many times has Jesus said something like this in the last few chapters of John? In verse 29, Stuart read, Now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. The faith we have in Jesus' promises, the peace we have because we believe those promises, is based on solid evidence. Evidence like this where Jesus warns them beforehand what will happen so that later they'll be convinced that he's the real thing. Do you know, there are 365 verses in the Bible that says, be not afraid or fear not, one for every day of the year. Well, except for a leap year, and that was the 29th of February, so that day's gone, so you don't have to be afraid for the rest of this year. So let's beware, first of all, of how God sees us. That is, he sees us as disciples who love Jesus. He sees us as those who have been adopted as his children. From that flows a whole host of consequences. If you're God's child, he wants you to speak to him. He wants you to know your dependence on him. He delights in giving you all good things. But it's more than that even. When God sees us, He sees someone in whom his own spirit is dwelling. He sees someone who's truly made in the image of God in a way that hadn't been seen since Adam and Eve sinned. He sees his own being reflected in our spirit. And secondly, we need to be aware that as Christians, prayer is more than just sending a message up to heaven. It's not like sending an SMS to your children and you never get a reply. But it's a way of life because God's Holy Spirit dwells within us when we pray. God is present in our praying. For us, prayer is communicating with the mystery of the Godhead that we talked about earlier. Paul put it like this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us for his work, to teach us all things and to give us a real and lasting peace in the knowledge that Jesus has overcome the world. How to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? By being one who loves Jesus Christ. How do you know if you're someone like that? By the way you desire to keep his commandments. And so I pray that God's Holy Spirit will be present in each of our daily lives in a very real way, that we'd recognize his presence and draw great comfort and peace from that, knowing that we enjoy being part of God's family. We are the people of God whom he loves. Amen. Let us bow in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that we have not been left alone. We thank you that you have given to us your spirit, an advocate, a comforter, a guide, the one who will lead us in all truth. And we thank you for his presence among us, his presence within us, We thank you that we are not left as orphans, but your love continues to flow out to each one of us. We pray that we will continue to rely on the power of your Holy Spirit, to rely on the power of the Spirit to enfold us, to enliven us, to help us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And say, may we in all we say and do, be your people. Amen. Just like to remind you of Tuesday night with conversations with, with Stuart at 7 p.m. Bundaberg time, all the links are found on the Facebook and the web page. and so you're quite welcome to that. And on Tuesday night uh, with the conversations, don't forget it's interactive and you can uh, make comments and we will respond to them as we go through. As the people of God, go out and share the love and the good news of Christ with all. And let us say together the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. Amen. And will just finish off with the words of John Wesley. The best of all is God is with us. Amen.